We continue in our study of John. It'll lead us up to the Easter season. John chapter 3 today is our text. John chapter 3. One of the arts of living is learning how to talk to people. You don't talk to everybody the same way. There's a fellow I know, he runs a greenhouse, and in the fall of the year, I buy pumpkins and mums from his greenhouse for the church here. I've done that for years. I always talk to him in a very specific way when I go there. After I say, hello, how are you doing, and so forth, the first thing I always say is, I'm here to fill my whole truck up with pumpkins and flowers. But I always say, I will do that myself, and I'll let you know what I have. And the reason I say that, because he's very comfortable sitting in his chair. I want him just to uh, know that when I'm coming, he doesn't need to wait on me. And so I I won't disturb him. (laughs) I usually get about $175 or $180 worth of flowers and pumpkins. And then I go back inside and I go in to talk for a while. I always tell him that I'm getting pumpkins so the kids can carve them at church. See, he's been a bus driver for years. And he likes kids. And so I tell him all about it. Twenty kids come and they carve pumpkins and we give prizes to the scariest and the most traditional and the most creative and so on. And so I tell him all about the whole event. He loves to hear that. And somewhere in the conversation, he'll say, uh, how much do you want to pay? I always say, I don't know. Whatever you say. He'll say, well, I don't know. Is $100 too much? At that point, I jump right in. And I say, now listen now. I want to be fair to you. So make sure it's fair for you. After that, then we go on talking about other things that might interest him, sometimes politics, sometimes business. Now, I'm going to be there at least an hour, maybe a little more. And finally, I pull out my wallet and I say, now, what do I owe you? And See, he's no fool. He's been calculating in his head what he paid and what were his costs all the while we're talking. So I pull out my wallet and I say, what do I owe you? He's got it all figured out. And he says, $70. So after a little conversation, he comes down $100. See? And I give him a hearty handshake and wish him happy Thanksgiving. It's good to see you. And uh, every year, just as I'm going out the door, I'm, I'm right at the door going out, he says the same thing. If you want something else, just take it. Take whatever you want. I say, are you sure? He says, please, take what you want. So on the way out, I always throw a few more things in. Some more pumpkins, some more plants. I give him a happy wave. And it's over. I got $200 of merchandise for $70. He is happy as can be. Certain people you talk to a certain way. And when you're done, 
He's happy. And often he'll say, I remember what you said last year. <laughs> he likes to talk. I know how to talk to him. There's a certain way you talk to people. In our text today, we have what may be the greatest conversation ever recorded. In this conversation, Jesus of Nazareth will say probably the most famous words ever spoken. The most quoted words, the most memorized words, the most important words that were ever spoken on the history of this world. We have the classic example of knowing how to talk to people in a certain way. Jesus is the master of that art. He knows how to talk to people. Now we've skipped over to chapter 3 of John. It logically follows chapter 1. And so it doesn't hurt at all. But I have another reason. I am answering a question. Now, people can ask me questions. They can write them down and hand them to me. Or they can drop them in the offering box. And I usually save those questions and answer them in a Sunday school class. But this question is so good, I've chosen to answer it in this service today. And so I skipped over to chapter 3 because I'm answering a question. Now, first we're going to read something that I think sets up chapter 3. So we're in John chapter 2, right at the end, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew what people were thinking. He could almost read their minds... He's so familiar with human nature and with the human mind that he knows how people think. He can read their expressions on their faces, the hesitations and the inclinations, the feelings of people. And so my friends, I'll tell you, he knows you better than you know you. He knows you well. So here we go. The greatest conversation of all time. John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Now we stop right there. That's a mouthful what we just said. What do we know? Well, we know it's Passover, the greatest holiday of the year. And when Jesus visits Jerusalem, especially at Passover, he usually stays with Mary and Martha. They live out in Bethany, which is two miles outside of Jerusalem. So the midnight visit of Nicodemus probably takes place out in Bethany, which means Nicodemus has walked a couple miles at night to visit Jesus. So he didn't just drop in on a whim. He has chosen to visit Jesus even though it's inconvenient. Who is Nicodemus? Well, there's several things. History tells us that he's the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem. That means he's a very rich man. But that didn't define who he was. Secondly, he's a member of the ruling group called the Sanhedrin. 
That's a 70-man council that the Romans allowed to exist to rule over local matters and legal matters and religious matters. The Romans took care of capital punishment, or as they would call it, keeping the peace, (laughs) because they wanted the flow of tax money to be unhindered. So they left local matters to the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus is one of those members, which doesn't really define who he is either. Thirdly, it says Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Our kids have a song they like to sing. I heard them singing it the other night. I don't want to be a Pharisee. (laughs) The Pharisees have gotten a bad reputation Because they were behind the crucifixion of Jesus. But to be a Pharisee was to have a certain lifestyle and to believe certain things. That way of life and those things that were believed are about to be challenged by Jesus of Nazareth. The Pharisees were a religious sect that kind of morphed into a political party. They wanted to go back to the Bible follow every command, and live exactly as the Bible said, following all the rules. Which is a very noble idea. Except they usually carried it a little too far. So Nicodemus is a wealthy, well-respected man, an older man, who has devoted his life to living a very disciplined lifestyle, and we would say he's got it all together. That would be the first impression that we have of Nicodemus, but something is wrong. Something is amiss. He's not acting like a Pharisee. Now the Bible says that Nicodemus was a secret disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews. The rest of the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, didn't want anything to do with him. The rest of the Pharisees had already decided that Jesus was not the Messiah. Even though John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Messiah, the Pharisees didn't believe it. So, is that why Nicodemus is coming at night? To visit Jesus, well, maybe. But I would think if Nicodemus is afraid of the Jews and their opinions, that he wouldn't come at all. So why did he search out Jesus? Why is he there? There's something else. There's something we don't know yet. So let's read on again. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus is a political person, and he thinks, I'm going to appeal to Jesus in a way that will influence him. I will compliment him, and I'll even go so far as to say he was sent from God. Jesus had done some miracles in Jerusalem at the Passover. It says probably healings because that was what he did the most of. So Nicodemus heard about those miracles and he said to Jesus, Wow, very impressive. You must be sent from God. 
But Jesus knows what's going on inside of Nicodemus. We don't. But he does. Listen to his answer. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is looking inside of Nicodemus. And he's thinking about Nicodemus. We're not going to talk about miracles today, Nicodemus. We're going to talk about you. There's a reason you came here. I'm going to get right to it. Nicodemus, I'm telling you the truth. Unless you are born again, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, my friends, that is a kick right in the teeth. Old Nicodemus' mind must have been reeling. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a political man. And the Pharisees believed that they were in charge of the kingdom of heaven. That they were running the government, just waiting for Messiah to come. And when Messiah comes, uh, we'll take over with him. And we'll be right here in his kingdom as rulers with him. So naturally, we Pharisees are the keepers of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus just said to Nicodemus, oh no you're not. You can't get into the kingdom of heaven until you're born again. Now, nobody ever said that before, ever, in any conversation. So what does it mean? Nicodemus answers in verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is a crazy idea. I never heard of such a thing. Can we go back inside of our mothers and be reborn? He's probably got a little smile on his face because it's kind of a crazy idea. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou heareth the sound thereof, but canst tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus knows who he's talking to. He's talking to a Pharisee. And he knows how to talk to a Pharisee. I think that Jesus knows what drove Nicodemus to come that night Notice what Jesus says. You have to be born of water and the Spirit. Now the word water is a buzzword for any Pharisee and for Nicodemus. The Pharisees loved water. When a Pharisee sat down to eat dinner, he never sat down without four or five bowlfuls of water on the table. 
And before he ate, he would wash himself thoroughly with water down to his elbow and then start again and back down to the tips of his fingers on both arms. Then he'd eat the first course, maybe bread or whatever it was. Then he'd do it again. He washed himself all with water again. Get himself all cleaned again. He may do that five or six times in one meal. Pharisees love to wash with water. Washing with water was a symbol. What it meant is that you're clean. No defilement, no sin. I'm all washed and clean, no sin. Now the priest had been washing with water ever since Moses told him to do that 4,000 years before. The Pharisees decided, that's a good idea, we'll do it too. It symbolized being clean, no sins and no guilt. That is why Pontius Pilate, when he delivered Jesus to be crucified, he first got up before all those Pharisees and Jews out there, and it says he washed his hands in front of them. And he said, see what I'm doing? I'm washing my hands. I'm not guilty of sin. I'm clean. It's not my fault. And he washed his hands in front of the Jews, and the Jews knew exactly what he meant. Now Jesus said, you got to be born of water. And that was the nerve in Nicodemus that is down inside of him. That Jesus got to that nerve. Water. Now back in chapter 1, we read that the Pharisees sent a delegation out to see if John the Baptist was the Messiah. It doesn't say, but I think that Nicodemus must have been part of that delegation. If not, he certainly heard their report and examined it carefully. But who would you send to check on John the Baptist? An older man? An influential man? A wise man? Who knows what the Pharisees are all about? Nicodemus was probably first on the list of people who they would send out to check on John the Baptist. And what did he see when he went there? Listen to what it is what they saw out there. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sin. And there went out unto him all the land of Judah and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Now the Bible says plain ordinary people went out from all around And they went down into the water with John the Baptist and they confessed. I've been mean to my neighbor. Soldiers went down into the water and they confessed. I was cruel to one of my prisoners. Tax collectors went down into the water and they confessed. I cheated people on their taxes. 
And after they went into the water and made their confession, they went down into the water. The great symbol of being clean, of being forgiven. Now, my friends, we've been baptizing people here for 30 years. Raise your hand if you've been baptized with us. There's a lot of you, okay? You know what it's like. You've been to those services. A baptism is a happy, a joyful, and a wonderful service. For 30 years, people have been coming up to me after baptisms, year after year. People have been coming up to me and telling me, when you're baptizing people, I feel a draw. I'm drawn to it. It makes me want to be baptized too. People have been telling me that for years. I think all Nicodemus watched those people being baptized, and he felt drawn he wanted to get into that water. That water. See? Go down in that water, that wonderful water, and be baptized. Because, why didn't he? Because he thought, I'm a Pharisee. And what would the other Pharisees say if I got baptized? Why, I'd be an outcast. I just can't do it. So he went home. But he couldn't stop thinking about it. Until maybe you've had the same experience. He can't sleep at night. Something is driving him to go see Jesus. The other Pharisees would have been shocked to hear that Nicodemus actually went to see Jesus. So how can he do it? You go at night. You go outside the city, two miles away. In the darkness, you travel. Why? Because he's in a spiritual crisis. He's got to do something. And when he went into that house where Jesus was, Jesus could just look at him. He's got bags under eyes and a worn out look on his face. It's not the first time... Nicodemus ever saw Jesus that night. Down by the Jordan River he saw him. At Jerusalem doing miracles he saw him. And now at midnight he comes, driven and restless and tormented. And Jesus looks at him and says, you've got to be born again. How? First with water. Nicodemus, you know about water. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, I know. Like those people who were baptized by John. I need to repent and to say I'm sorry for my sins and ask forgiveness. That's it, my friend. That's your part. It's our part in being born again. I've had people say to me sometimes, I always talk to God. I do it all the time. My question is this. What do you talk about? You need to have an encounter with God where you talk about what you've done wrong and where you ask to be forgiven. Believing that God is real isn't enough. Nicodemus believed in God. There's no question in his mind. 
But he never had an encounter with God where he confessed his sin. He was a Pharisee. He really didn't think he had any sin. But after those baptisms, he knew better. So driven and restless, finally out of desperation, he sought out Jesus. And Jesus said, first... Be born of water. Nicodemus knew what he meant. Get clean. Wash away your sins. Confess and be forgiven. And you might say to me, Eric, I can't possibly remember all my sins. I'm going to say, no, you can't. I can't either. There's too many. So when I ask, I say, Jesus, please forgive them all. So what happens next? Secondly, Jesus says, You must be born of the Spirit. How do I do that? You don't do that. (laughs) You don't do it. God takes care of that part. He gives you life, a new life. And you see, it's like starting over. It's like being born. Again, how does that happen? Nicodemus wonders, so do I. And Jesus says that Nicodemus is like the wind. <clears throat> when the wind comes, you don't know where it came from. Top of this hill, it's always windy. We've been out there many winter days, feel that cold wind blowing over the top of this hill. You can't tell where it comes from. You feel it blow past your face with its chilling effect. After that, you don't know where it goes. You just know it touched you. The wind is very mysterious. And so is God's work in your heart. You may not know just exactly how it happened. But you know it touched you and you can live a whole new life a new life lived for God starting over born again now these ideas are foreign to Nicodemus verse 9 Nicodemus answered and said unto him how can these things be Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? Knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know. Testify what we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I have told you of earthly things. If you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you about heavenly things. I'm going to tell you about spiritual things. I came down from heaven to do that. That's why I came. I came to tell you about these things. And I came to do something else. Verse 14. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I came, Jesus said to Nicodemus, to save people. God sent me here because He loves you. He doesn't want you to be alienated from God. He wants you to be friends. He loves you. So I came down here to fix that relationship. And your sins need to be punished. But I'm going to take the punishment for you. How? Jesus said to Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be put up on a cross and nailed there and lifted up. My friends, do you understand? When my children were very small, I remember them being sick and just burning up with fever. And I longed to be able to take that fever out of them and into me. If I only could, I would take the fever out of them and take it myself. Why? Because I love them. But I just can't do it. But Jesus figured out a way to take your fever into himself and out of you. He died on a cross and suffered in your place. And in so doing, he made it possible to forgive you. So Jesus says, ask, confess, say to God personally, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then he will respond, not only with forgiveness, but with new life. And Jesus just explained it better. I'll give you eternal life for that. It was the most important conversation ever in the history of the world. God so loved the world, he said, that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The most quoted thing ever spoken. He said to Nicodemus that night. You see, Jesus thought that the healings that Nicodemus did just weren't that important. They were just little mercy drops coming from heaven. The real business of Jesus was the saving of men's souls. Forgiving them. And mysteriously putting in us a new life. My friends, you don't have to have water to be forgiven. Jesus will gladly do it whenever you ask. So meet with him and have that encounter and ask to be forgiven. He promised, he said, I make a covenant with you whenever you ask. I will forgive. My friends, I ask regularly. 
and just let God do all the rest. It's not hard, is it? May God bless you as you seek Him out and comprehend this, the greatest of all conversations, what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom of Jesus that has sounded deep inside the heart of the man he was talking to, has reached in there and found the very point that Nicodemus needed and called Nicodemus to come. We know that Nicodemus did come. Help us that we might be ones who answer the call. Help us that we might be the ones who know who you are, experience you, and encounter you in that very special way. Bless us, Lord, as we take these things to heart, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn with me to hymn number 119, if you will. Hymn number 119. Standing as we sing in closing, hymn number 119, Just As I Am. Page 119. <laughs> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that the 
thank you for your great words, Lord. That all we need to do is believe in the Son of God. We will have eternal life. We come to you. We bring nothing. Just asking for forgiveness. You will welcome us and pardon us and cleanse us and and relieve us of all the sin and the guilt and the things which are in us and burden us so deeply. And it is only because we believe your promises, the promise that you have told us this day, the great and mighty promise, which puts us into that place where eternally we are secure, forever we can live with you. We thank you for that, that you have been able to forgive us, wash us clean from every sin, cover us with your blood, that we might have righteousness, your righteousness, given from you. You have taken on us, from us, our burden, taken it on yourself. Thank you, Lord, so much for these things. We pray that all of our hearts would be touched by this these words of yours today, may we not go from this place, but be a different person. Wherever we are in our life and in our journey, may you speak to us and continually speak to us. Go with us from this place. Come back with us to this place. May our hearts be ready to worship, knowing that you are our Lord and King and Savior, Jesus Christ, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Throughout all eternity, may we be with you, we pray. Protect us and watch over us, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen.